let me tell you about uh, my lockdown experience. Uh, you, you know, you can imagine we've got, we've got two young kids and being stuck at home, uh, you know, can't go out with bad weather and, you know, what would come to save us? Lo and behold, something did come to save us. We had a delivery on the second day of lockdown of this new, this new set of play cushions for Josh um, uh, called My Nook. Uh, weird name, but it's effectively different cushions that you can use to, to play and crash in and build stuff. And um, yeah, so Josh and I would come and I'd ask him, Josh, what do, we, what do you want to build today? What are we building today? And you can build a sofa. You can also build a car. I think it's the next one. Um, if you just run through them, Liam, a car is lots of fun. Or uh, a little teepee cubby house. Or my favorite, a jail. Um, Josh isn't as keen on that one. Uh, but now, why I raise my new um, toys, I mean, Josh's new toys with you, <laughs> is to address the question, what are we building? What kind of church are we building? in this season of of leadership transition? That's an important question for us. What kind of church are we building? Now, this comes, uh, this is, I think, sermon number three in our series in 1 Corinthians, a letter written to the church in Corinth, this this, uh, church in this economic, prosperous uh, center in, in the Roman world. Paul, the apostle, writes to them with some hard truths. Uh, to, to call them out on a whole heap of things and to remind them who they are and whose they are. And these are truths that we need to hear today, hard truths for today's church. And the big question we're going to be asking today is what kind of church are we building? Now, the Corinthian church, they thought they were doing pretty well. They were a pretty prosperous church. They had lots of people coming. They had good, good ministries, great preachers like Paul the Apostle, superstar, started them, and then Apollos came along. They thought they were doing pretty well. But Paul has something else to say about them. So if you have a Bible, grab it out, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read it together. We're going to read it through, through the passage and hear what Paul has to say to this church, this church these tough truths. And um, I've just realized I'm in completely the wrong place. I was in Chronicles rather than Corinthians. Um, so do I have open up to 1 Corinthians 3, and we're just going to read through bit by bit, stick pretty close to the passage today, and hear what Paul has to say to, the, to Corinth, and hear what God has to say to us today. So let's read together. It'll be on the screen as well. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since you, since there is still jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not mere human beings. Corinth thought they were doing pretty well. Paul says, no, you're acting like babies. The Corinthians are babies. You know, Paul planted this church. You can read about it in Acts 18. And uh, what have they done with all the time since Paul has left? How have they grown? Well, they're still bragging about their leaders and not actually growing themselves. There's bickering. There's, there's conflict. We hear about a whole heap of other issues than the rest of the book. You know, they have a church with a great brand and great ministries, great worship, but the community is full of conflict, division, b- 
bickering, gossip, inappropriate behavior, unforgiveness, abuse of power. They think they are doing well. They think they are mature, but they're not. They're still on the baby food. They still haven't really grasped the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, because they haven't yet been transformed by the gospel. They, they live lives just like the society around them. There is no difference, no distinction. So how have they grown? And the key thing that Paul uh, raises in this passage, and he has already earlier on, is they're divided over leaders. They're addicted to the, the leader that they're following. And they're buying into the culture of comparison that was rampant throughout Corinth and throughout the world at the time. The, the culture of comparing. When someone comes, we go, oh, this guy's better than the last one. Or comparing, oh, I think I could do better than that. Comparing, oh, wow, what an awesome leader we have, what a preacher we have compared to you know, the other church in the city down the road. This culture of comparison. And let me tell you, this was before things like Instagram and Facebook. Yet they were caught up in a culture of comparison. How much more now? How much more now? And it wasn't just culture of comparison. They were caught up in a celebrity culture. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what, um, what, how things worked in Corinth is the, all these different celebrities or you know, famous speakers would come and give their little TED talk in, in Corinth and people get all excited about that and, and uh, go, oh, wow. And so that's how the culture worked. They, they elevated these celebrities and Paul's saying the church is doing exactly the same thing, elevating all these key leaders, saying, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, and building the church on the reputation of the preacher, of the leader. It was a recipe for disaster. I've been listening to a podcast uh, recently, a like, long-form journalism called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hills Church. Is anyone familiar with that? We've got a couple... Uh, it's, it's this fascinating story, and not a, not a particularly pleasant one, the story of um, uh, Morris Hill's church and Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll was a strong, powerful, driven, charismatic leader. He was an excellent Bible teacher, and he built his church uh, based off his own reputation. And this church grew from like 10 people in his living room to... I think it was about 14,000 people at its peak, multiple campuses, multiple churches. But behind closed doors, he was a bully. He was abusive. He was dismissive. He was misogynistic. He, uh, and even, even, gosh, even not behind closed doors, even on the public pulpit, he was bullying and, and disruptive and misogynistic. And it was, it was um, despicable, really. And, um, and as uh, Mark's true nature and, and all this kind of um, sin and, and all this came out to light, the effect was that because Mark's church was built upon Mark's reputation, when his reputation fell, pretty much overnight, the church closed its doors. And we think, how could this happen? How could a church uh, of 14,000 people just turn off overnight? How could they put so much... Uh, uh, emphasis on the leader and, and so much, and then the leader falls so far from grace. How can we see this? And it's not an isolated case. There's others. Like last year, we heard 
about the horrible things Ravi Zacharias did. And then there's Bill Hybels, Kyle Lenz, like the list goes on. What is causing all these issues, these character failings in leaders? Of course, one component of it is the leader themselves uh, who, who get caught up in, in their ministry and what they're doing and they forget uh, their, their initial calling to be a child of God. And obviously, there's, there's the leader's accountable. But secondarily, the culture uh, allows this to happen. The culture of the church, the culture of this celebrity pastor mentality allows celebrity pastors to get away with things. We buy into this celebrity culture. And just like sports stars and movie stars, they get away with all kinds of bad stuff because we love their movies and we love their sporting achievements. These pastors, these leaders get away with all kinds of horrible things because we love their ministries. And there's a lot of Christians around the world who are more concerned with having a pastor who's charismatic, who's driven, who's powerful, than having a pastor who's Christian, than having a pastor who is a true Christian, someone formed and transformed by Christ. And, you know, we're in a really interesting spot at the moment uh, with, with Mark moving on. Um, we're going into a, se- a season of pastoral search. And a question we've got to ask ourselves as a church is what kind of pastor are we going to be looking for? Are we going to listen to the wisdom of the world and get a leader who's charismatic, driven, powerful? Are we going to listen to the wisdom of Scripture, get a leader who, is, who has integrity, who's beyond reproach? who's humble, who's kind, gentle, doesn't get angry. Who are we going to listen to? What kind of pastor are we going to look for? I do have to say we have great leaders, good, godly leaders. Uh, And uh, I feel, and I was talking to people after the service, the previous service, I feel like this isn't a, an immediate issue for us. I think we're, we're quite a mature people and we'll, we'll look out for a good leader. And we certainly have in the past. But we need to be reminded of this because it just takes one generation to forget and one generation to get caught up in the culture of the world or caught up in society or caught up by the flamboyance of a particular leader and, and to be blinded to other issues. It takes one generation to forget And then one bad decision, that will affect the culture of a church for generations. So Paul says, he he says to the Corinthian church, you are babies. And particularly, you're buying into this comparison celebrity culture. Don't elevate pastors. Don't elevate your leaders to a pedestal where they don't belong. And it raises the questions, well, what's the purpose of these leaders? What's the point? And that's where Paul turns to next. So if you've got your Bibles, let's continue from verse 5. What's the point of these leaders? Paul says, what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God, is making it, uh, God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. 
You are God's field, God's building. So what's the point of Apollos, of Paul? What's the point of leaders in the church? They are servants. The leaders are servants. They serve the one who's actually doing the growing. Now, it's interesting. Paul really levels the playing field here. There is no place for comparison. You can't compare how much growing did Paul do, how much growing did Apollos do, do, because neither did any growing. Paul planted. He he planted this church originally in 1, 1 Acts 18, and then Paulus came along and he watered it. He, he led and invested into these people afterwards. But who did the growing of the disciples in this church? It was God. God grew the faith of the Corinthian church. God is the one who builds his church. Now, not that Paul and Apollos were independent of their work. Paul says we are co-workers in God's service. They serve God in his work of building the church. Now, there's a pastor in America. Um, Now, if I'm ever at risk of idolizing a pastor, elevating someone onto pedestal, they shouldn't be. Uh, It's Todd Wagner of Watermark Community community church, so you all can keep me accountable to that, that I wouldn't uh, idolize him too much, or at all. Um, something he uh, wrote in his book, and he says this a lot on, on, in different settings, is that often pastors and church leaders and church development uh, people are tied up with these all these church building programs and church bro- growth programs and get so tied up in building up the church And he observes that Jesus never actually said, go and build my church. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Invest in the lives of people. Tell them the truth of the gospel of Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done. What Jesus did say, he he said, I will build my church. When Peter confessed to him that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus said, yep, on this rock, on this truth, this foundation... I will build my church. God is the one. Jesus is the one who will build his church. Our role as leaders is to teach the Bible, to share the gospel, to lead people to Christ so that he would transform them. As members of a church, our role is to serve one another and to share Jesus, to to point people and and draw people to to Jesus. Uh, And by doing that, making disciples, that's our role. And God will build his church. And it's an important reminder for us, and a very important reminder, again, for the season we are in, that Paul is saying this church is not Paul's church. It's not Apollos' church. It's Christ's church. You know, who, who, an interesting question we need to be asking is, who is the head of the church? Now, at the moment, uh, we might think, you know, Mark Sanders, the senior pastor, is the head of the church. Here he is cheering himself on. We'll have a chat later. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, we might get a bit anxious thinking that, you know, Mark is going to be moving on soon. That are we losing our head? Are we going to be like a church, a body without a head? You know, and there, there's, there's rightfully so. There's a bit of anxiety about, you know, this next season and what are we going to do without a senior pastor and... And, you know, that, that's, that's fair to be, to be worried about that. But something we cannot forget is that Mark is not the head of this church. I'm not the head. The elders, the chair are not the head. Who is the head of the church? Jesus. Thank you. That was so loud and convicted. 
Jesus is the head of the church. And so, you know, in a few weeks' time, when Mark moves on, we're not losing our head. Jesus has been the head of, the, of Hills Baptist Church for the last 50 years. Jesus will be the head of Hills Baptist Church for the next 50, 100, into eternity. Jesus is the head of the church. That is not changing in this next season. And we can be confident that, you know, whatever our leader structure might be, that God will be building his church. And each one of us have a role to play in serving that mission of building his church. But God's the one who will grow. An important, important uh, reminder for us that God will build his church. So the next question to think about, if, if God is going to be the one to build church and leaders are serving that mission of building the church, what kind of church are we going to build? What kind of church are we going to build? And that's where Paul turns, uh, thinks about next. If we keep going from verse 10, I'll read verse 10 to 15 and have a think about what kind of church are we to build? Paul says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on his foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what has been Sorry, well, skipped a line. Sorry, the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what is being built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's being burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. You know, there's many, many, many books written on church growth, church development. There's a whole series of different movements. There's the purpose-driven church. There's the emergent church, the divergent church, the incarnational church, the reincarnational church, seeker-sensitive, seeker-insensitive church, all these different movements. But what we have in front of us is the church growth model from the most famous church planter and church grower in all of Christian history maybe except for Jesus. Paul the Apostle, here he has for us how he grows a church, what he invests in. And the first thing he says, the the most important thing is the foundation. Paul says, no one can lay any foundation other than what's already laid, and that is Jesus Christ. And so the foundation is Jesus. If, the, if our foundation, if a church's foundation is anything else except for Jesus Christ, we cannot call it a Christian church. Because it's through Christ we are saved. It's through Christ that we are transformed. It's through Christ that we're brought together as a people. We become God's very people together. And it's Christ who gives us his spirit to give us gifts to go out and serve on God's mission, on Christ's mission. The church, sorry, Christ is the foundation of the church. And Paul says he laid that foundation. In, in Acts chapter 18, it talks about Paul testifying every Sabbath in the synagogue about that Jesus is the Messiah, testifying to the identity and the work of Jesus. And he stayed there 18 months teaching them the word of God, laying that foundation, who Jesus is, and what Jesus has done. And if we ever lose that, 
if we ever get carried away into areas that we base our identity as a church not on Jesus but on social justice or about uh, New Age movements or about uh, you know the, the latest fad or whatever, if we ever move away from Jesus being our foundation, our cornerstone, what we are all about, we cannot call ourselves a Christian church. And that is the foundation. But what are we building on top of that? What materials are we using? Now, Paul is challenging the Corinthian church. He talks about, you know, is anyone building with gold, silver, stones, gems, wood, hay, or straw? He's obviously saying that there are some good ways of building on the church, and there are some not good ways. And what if we build and invest in? It will be shown for what it is. He says on the day, uh, yeah, what it is, because the day will bring it to light. Whatever is built, whatever is invested in, it will be shown for what it is. And those who, who invest in what Paul what God values, they'll be rewarded for it. It will last into eternity. But those who invest in things that are futile, foolish, they'll be consumed. And though, though we might be saved, we'll have nothing to show for it. Uh, in heaven, in eternity. So what, what is Paul thinking about? And I was really racking my brain trying to think and read and, and study. What, what does Paul mean when he says gold, silver, stone, wood, straw, and hay? Like, is he, he's obviously not saying, uh, you know, go and don't build a, a church with hay, a building with hay, because that'll all fall over. Go build with gold. Like, that's, that's not what he's meaning. He's using allegory and, and an illustration here. But what does he mean? What does he think? What is he referring to when he says the valuable things or the invaluable things? And so to, to kind of read into this, I read around the passage and, and thought, well, what does Paul value? And what does Paul uh, not value? And we, we, reading through Corinthians, we do get a pretty clear picture of what is valuable and worth investing in and what is invaluable. One that we've already mentioned is the reputation of the preacher, the reputation or, or even the, the branding and, and, and all of that, that's nothing. Uh, they're nothing compared to Christ in eternity. Building a church with straw is building a church on the reputation uh, of the preacher or of, of the brand. And Mark Driscoll did that, and it was shown for what it was truly is. It's not going to last. Or it might be um, Paul obviously doesn't value worldly wisdom of promoting whoever's strongest and most charismatic or, or even um, all the, all the uh, business and operational wisdom that we might get from the world of having a clear, driven uh, vision statement or really solid, robust uh, constitution or five years five-year strategy, or even, you know, have great programs and have great music and have great visuals and have great brand. All those things, that worldly wisdom, those things won't last. They're a means to an end. Now, it's not to say that those things are Im- invaluable and we should, we should never promote anyone who's, ve- you know, slightly charismatic, or we should never, uh, you know, invest in brand or music or anything like that. But if, if we're investing in that in order to have great music, great programs, then we've missed the point. That's straw, that's wood at best. It will be consumed. That won't last into eternity. 
We're not to, to boast and, and uh, exaggerate about our church or how great our programs are or how great the music is. They're not what build the church, but they might facilitate what builds a church. So those things, great programs, great music, great visuals, great uh, leadership structures, great constitution, all those things are only as good as they serve building the church, building the true church. And so what does Paul value? What should these things work towards? And reading all of 1 Corinthians, it's clear that Paul values uh, character and conviction. You know, we've, we've already read he's concerned for the character of, of the Corinthian church. He called them babies because they behave like the Corinthian church around them. There's jealousy and strife. Later on in the next few weeks, we're going to hear about sex scandals and conflict and, and um, uh, abuse of power between the rich and the poor and uh, gifts that are over-exaggerated and love that is neglected. Paul is concerned with the character of the Corinthian church. How are they living? How are they treating each other? How are they reflecting the, the character of Christ, the, the person they are saved by? At the end of uh, the book, and, and kind of scattered throughout, Paul continually returns uh, to the gospel, to who Jesus is and what he's done. And most particularly at the end of the book, his resurrection. And what that means uh, for us today, that Jesus has risen from the grave and that we have new life in him, what that means for us today and what that means for us in the future. And so Paul is deeply concerned with the character and the conviction of the Corinthian church. And it, it makes me think, what are we doing to invest in the character and the conviction of the people here at Hills Baptist? How are we growing to be more mature? How are our leaders and our programs and our worship and our ministries investing in the maturity of, of the people? Because that is what will last. That will be shown for what it is. You know, there's many uh, metrics that are used to, to assess church programs and church growth and often related to numbers or programs or ministries or attendance. But the kind of questions we should be asking when we're thinking about church growth, is do you feel any closer to Jesus now than you did this time last year? Are we a growing church? Do you understand the Bible more now than you did this time last year? Do you pray more or does it come more easily to you now or less than you did this time last year? Are you more committed to attending church and being involved now than you did this time last year? Are you more kind, more generous, more humble, more joyful, more gentle, more peaceful now than you were this time last year? Are you more resistant and resilient to temptation and sin now than you were this time last year? Are we a growing church? Now, why does this matter? Why does the building material uh, that we use to build the church, the values, the things that we put, we invest in and we value, we, we um, emphasize, why does that matter? Like if, if, if Christ is our f 
foundation. If we're going to get saved either way, what's, why does it matter that we build a good church, a growing, healthy church? Well, here is what Paul wants the Corinthian church to realize. The next bit he says is key to understanding this whole passage and why Paul is so concerned about the health of the Corinthian church. And why don't you read with me verse 16 and 17. Paul says, don't you know, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. God's temple is holy. And you together are that temple. Paul says, don't you know? This is information that you should be aware of. The church is God's temple. The the temple, the space of God's presence, his Holy Spirit. Now, what Paul says here is actually quite controversial in in, the Israelite thinking and history because for all of the biblical history, or most of it certainly, God dwelt in the temple, which was a building in the middle of Jerusalem, and it was only there that God's presence was, and that was very theologically significant because the sin of the world separated the people of the world and the holy, perfect, complete, good God. And so the means by which God dwelt with Israel and the means by which God entered into the world was through the temple. And a whole lot of effort was put in to make sure this temple was worthy of God's presence. All the design, the intricacy, even the size, the dimensions, the the various layers of, of areas. And it was also the means by which God entered in the world and his mission went out into the world was through the Israelite people, through the temple. People would come there to hear God's word going out. People would come there to receive healing. People would come there to offer sacrifices to pay for their sin. But it wasn't enough. The temple was destroyed. Israel was exiled. It wasn't enough. And so God came down in the person of Jesus Christ. No longer was God's presence in a building, it was in a person, in Jesus Christ, who died and rose again so that he could pay for the sin that separates, that we might be saved and become one with God. That relationship that was broken was now restored. And so God now dwells in his people. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit, right? the very presence of God, the third person of the Trinity, to dwell within his people, in you, in me. No longer is God in a building that we need to go and you know, get our God fix in this building. He's, he's certainly not in this building, you know, this you know, 202 um, Old Mar Barker Road. He's in the people. Now, Paul says this is a corporate reality as well as an individual reality. In 1 Corinthians 6, he talks about our bodies individually are temples of the Holy Spirit. But here he makes an emphasis that us together, he says, you yourselves, yourself, yous, are the temple of God. God's temple is holy and together we are that temple. And so if the church is God's temple, the place of God's presence, the means of God's mission, 
Are we building a temple worthy of God's presence? Are we building a temple effective in God's mission? God says his temple is a holy temple. So are growing people who are holy, who, who reflect the character of God. And if we are people filled with the Holy Spirit, the things to, to, to build, the things that should come out of healthy, growing, mature Christians is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things are the things to invest in, to build, to grow in God's church. Not programs, not reputations, not bank accounts, not buildings. Or only those things so as much as they grow the fruit of the Spirit in God's people. Paul uh, finishes this section saying, don't be deceived. Don't buy into the ways of this world elevating uh, preachers, elevating other means of doing this. Don't you realize that, uh, you know, he catches the wise in their craftiness. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Last week, Mark preached on the previous chapter. We talked about the, the wisdom of the cross is foolishness to the world. God's means of saving people is coming into the earth. And, you know, the God, the ruler of the world dies. That's foolishness. But Paul says we need to become fools in order that we may be wise and that we might value what God values, that we might build what would honor Him, build a church, build a community that was worthy of His presence and effective on His mission. And so to to finish, I want to talk about the values that we have at Hills Baptist. I don't know if you might even realize that um, as a board and as eldership, as leadership, you know, we have uh, specific values that we want to invest in, that we want to grow. And we may or may not be doing a good job of that. And a good test is whether or not the congregation and general people know what our values are. And I'm not going to test that today. But I'll have them up on the slide. The values that the board and various leaders keep coming back to, to invest in, is that we would be a church that is Christ-centered, that we would be a church that is biblically-based, authentic, Holy Spirit-empowered, servant-hearted, generous, and prayerful. I think a really um, good question to ask ourselves is, if, if a visitor were to come in today, what would they observe? What would they say our values are? If someone were to look in on our lives and the way we live day to day, what would they say our values values are? What would they say, We, what are we building? What are we working towards? I'm really glad. I, I feel like today uh, we, we've definitely exhibited some of these values. The fact that we've given um, the pulpit to, to various people, not saying that you know, God only speaks through the preacher, but He speaks through His people, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We... We, um, I think there's a lot of authenticity that's come with that. And I really, yes, applaud and celebrate this church. We, we're on a good track. <laughs> but I think we need to keep coming back to that track. These are the church's values that we've written down. But we all need to think about what, what kind of 
church are we building? What kind of family are we building? What kind of lives are we building? What will it be shown for when Jesus returns? What will last as a legacy into eternity? And what will be burned away? It's an important question to be asking. And a really important question to be uh, asking in this time of, of transition of leadership. But like I said before, we're not losing our head. Christ is our head. And he will build this church. Let me pray. God, we just praise and thank you so much for all the way you've been working in the life of this church. We thank you uh, for establishing it 50 years ago. We thank you for the way you have uh, invested it, for the leaders you've raised up to serve this church. And we thank you for Mark and how he's uh, invested, particularly in this season of growing. And uh, yeah, God, we we just pray that we would not fall into the trap of, of uh, celebrity culture or comparison culture. God, where we might be vulnerable to that is, you know, bragging about going to Hills Baptist Church. We do have a really good, growing, healthy church. May, may we never boast about that. May we boast in Christ and His work in us. Jesus, we thank You uh, that You are our foundation. Holy Spirit, we thank You that You are working in us and growing us. God, we thank You that it's Your mission that we are on. And God, as we build this temple, as we build this community of people, we pray we would be a temple that is worthy of your presence. And we pray we would be a temple that is effective on your mission. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.